You're listening to the Frugal Spender Podcast, where we have conversations about the one thing you've always been told not to talk about, personal finance. Hey guys, and welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number 38. This week, I'm sitting down to have a chat with Sarah Williams about debt. Sarah has spent over 20 years helping people with their debt problems, volunteering at Citizens Advice to setting up her blog, The Debt Camel, in 2013. Sarah is clearly dedicated to helping people with debt, giving useful, digestible information in a way that everybody can understand. This subject is an overwhelming one for many, but I'm sure you will learn something useful from this episode because I know I did. And there was a very amusing point in our Zoom call that I had to edit out, which is when Martin Lewis rang Sarah's doorbell to drop off some chairs. Perhaps he heard that we were recording and wanted to make an appearance. Perhaps a future guest. Anyway, let's get straight into my conversation with Sarah Williams. Sarah from the Debt Camel, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks for inviting me on, Brian. No problem. Um, when you reached out, I... Um, trawl through the internet looking for some stuff that you did and it turns out you're quite prolific and I'm surprised I hadn't come across your stuff before um, before you reached out so I must say I I really like what you do I, I love your content it resonates quite a lot with the stuff that I talk about but obviously more heavily towards debt and it's something that's very close to home for me it's the reason why I create content about money in the first place because I was stung with debt so I'm really um, really looking forward to our chat yeah, it's uh, so I'm definitely in a niche end of the market, but it's such an important niche. It is, and it's uh, one that not many people like talking about. Um, that's right. It is quite hard. Um, and if you're just talking about your own experiences, um, it is great to read personal stories, um, but it's hard to generalize for people. Um, yeah. So it, it, it does help, I think, to have somebody that. Um, I've been a debt advisor for 20 years and so it does help to have somebody who can generalize and make more um, stand, stand back and see the wood from the trees is, is, is my general phrase for looking at this yeah no I agree okay then well let, let's start there then when so you've, you've been in the solve industry for 20 years what what first of all got you into that and then what led you into creating content online um, on Instagram and, 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 and your blog Okay, well, it was pretty much a complete accident, as, as so many of the uh, best things in life to turn out to be. Um, so I used to work in the city, and um, at that point, I was uh, a single mum with two children, and it, my city job was becoming just impossible um, to, to manage with home life. So I uh, became a stay-at-home mum, and I wanted something to do which could very easily be confined to um, term time in which I could drop a, the, the drop of a hat if the children were ill or, or whatever reason. So I started uh, volunteering at my local citizens advice. And when you become a citizens advice volunteer, you have to go through these courses at the start. Um, there's about mm, eight, nine sections. So things like benefits, um, housing, employment, um, consumer rights, immigration. And one of the sections was debt. And I actually found that one the hardest to get to grips with. 
and also the most interesting. So if you've got somebody with an employment problem or a housing problem, there's a sort of set series of questions you ask. And if this one is interesting, you, you go down and you ask other questions. And it's it's fairly formulate which order you go through the information you need before you can start talking about the options somebody's got. Uh, debt has this habit of going all over the place. Even right from the start, you've not just got what people are spending at the moment on their um, expenses and, and what their income is, um, but you've got what the household situation is like and how that might be going to change in future and whether they could affect not just what they're doing about their debts, but whether they could uh, maximise their income, whether they're getting all the benefits and things they're entitled to. So it kind of goes in all directions. <laughs> and the actual hard dealing with the debt-specific part of it has got a lot of quite technical stuff, um, which most people never see, um, but which the debt advisor need, needs to know for pulling out in, in the unusual circumstance where um, a client just fits in this particular niche and there's an unusual suggestion for them. So I just found it fascinating and I tended to specialise in that. Um, I did all sorts of other stuff at Citizens Advice because all the volunteers do. Um, but you know, if, if a debt if a debt advice client came through the door and I was um, around and I would probably be the person that was asked. Uh, so that's what I was doing for um, several years, quite a few years. And I got tired of seeing people very late in the process. Often people were, you know, grasping letters from debt collectors, letters from bailiffs about council tax. This is often the last problem, which means they've got to go and get debt advice. Mm. They've had debt problems for quite a while before that. And uh, people kept saying, why don't you write a book? Well, we debt probably aren't going to pop over to Waterstones and, and buy a book on <laughs> how to solve their debt problems. And also, as soon as you put it in print, it becomes um, out of date. Mm. You know, so something changes in the world. Um, in the world of debt. So after many years too late, really, I thought, well, actually, probably um, a, a website's a good idea. And, free. Uh, a, a free, yes, exactly. Um, so I kind of sketched out a website. And then I thought, uh, I started off, I don't know, we've got 20, 30 sensible pages. And I thought, I'll, I'll put in a blog post when something changes. And, you know, the first week somebody left a comment saying, what about X? I thought I hadn't written about that. So I wrote a blog post about that. And then somebody else asked about something else. And then there's something on the news. And I thought, oh, that, that's really interesting. So the blog posts have taken over mm. and uh, talking about news and developments and what people can do. Um, it's rapidly become... It, most weeks, I would say, at the moment, I probably do two posts. Um, certainly, there was a period in the early stages when I just realised how much there was I hadn't covered uh, when I was writing th three posts a week, which is, is quite a heavy schedule. Yeah, that's that's a lot of content around debt. And I think with the experience of how many people you would have spoken to in those those years of being a citizen's advice and the number of sort of individual case studies you probably came across, um, you probably had quite a lot of knowledge to draw from. What I um, what, what springs to mind is 
when it comes to debt, I talk to quite a lot of people about debt as well. It's not the only thing that I talk about, but I do get quite a lot of messages from people who, um, like you said, I get to the point whereby it's almost at the end. It's almost like they're forced into a corner. They have to now do something about it. Whereas, as we both know, actually, if you thought about this two years ago, when you kind of just got on the line of maybe you could have budgeted your way out of it, or maybe there were some sort of things that you could tweak and you could get yourself into a better situation and then sort of in the better projection. What, what did you find from conversations and people that you've helped throughout the years? What would you say is the most common reason that people have found themselves in debt, more probably more uncontrollable debt than anything? Almost everybody gets into debt in their 20s these days. It's, it's not unusual to not have any debt, but it, it's, it's really very common, starting mm. off with student debt um, and student overdrafts. This just kind of gets people used to thinking that an overdraft is a, a mm. normal part of um, adult life and you get your first credit card and... Um, you know, after you've had that year, you probably can't remember what you bought on it apart from pizza, but somehow it seems to be <laughs> seems to be maxed out. Um, this sort of debt is annoying to work through and expensive to work through if it's credit card debt or, or overdraft debt. Um, but often it's a life event which tips somebody over from having debt, which is taking up more than they would like of their salary to pay and kind of wishing it was less. Um, over to the point where they can't manage. So this can be um, losing your job, it can be sickness, it could be um, a pregnancy with then high cost of childcare coming in, um, it could be separation, any or a business failure. Mm. Uh, so any of these can, can change a situation which was just, oh, that's probably more credit card debt than I would like to. I can't, no way can I, no way can I actually pay the minimums on these credit cards, let alone actually start clearing them in a sensible length of time. So you'd say it's more kind of like a bit of a creep over time where people aren't really realising. It can creep, it can creep up over time and um, particularly if you've got a good credit rating. Um, so you can have sort of uh, credit card debt on 0%. It can feel like it's not really, mm. not really something to worry free about. Free money, isn't it? That's, that's it what it felt like to me. Like free, and uh, your overdraft can feel like free money as, mm. as well at the start, but it comes with the 39% interest rate charge. So free. Most of it these days. Um, and then, of course, we've had COVID and uh, last year, the cost of living crisis starting. And that took a lot of people who had never really had serious financial problems before and suddenly put them in a, a place they had never expected to be with the huge rises in the cost of petrol and energy bills and food mm. bills. These are things you can't really negotiate your way um, around too much. You can cut down what you spend on food a bit, uh, but there's a distinct limit to what you can trim off. And a lot of mm. people are finding the food prices have gone up a lot more than they can cut back. Yeah. And I, I resonate massively with that kind of like, I, I never went to university, so I never got myself into student debt in that sense. But I can still remember as soon as I turned 18, those credit card application letters came through the door and, you know, they know full well what they're doing. They know these are the people that are 
you know, they're not in high paying jobs yet. And yeah, of course they want access to, to easy money. Uh, and I fell for it. And again, I couldn't tell you what I bought, but very quickly maxed out. I think my limit at the time was like 700 pounds. It wasn't even a lot of money really. Um, but I very quickly maxed it out and I, I moved house actually my situation put me into a really bad credit rating very quickly. I moved house briefly after completely being an 18 year old, completely forgot about paying off that credit card. I think I might potentially chain banks at the same time, but um, two years later realized actually they'd been chasing me for the last six months, eight months, nine months. Uh, before you know it, I had my credit rating had taken a beating and I had to somewhere, you know, I had to just call them up and say, look, I'm really sorry. I didn't do this on purpose, but I'm sure they would have heard that all the time anyway. And instantly my credit ratings dropped. And at the time when, you know, I was a couple of years away of potentially looking at buying a house or, you know, trying to just get financially stable, just such a silly mistake at the age of 18 with a bit of yeah. education beforehand would have really prevented that. And I, you know, that's my hope. And I'm sure it is for you that the information that we put out there reaches these people before they need it. And that's the challenge that I certainly come across on a daily basis is trying to think of ways to get this information that is accessible and digestible before people search it. Because like you said, people don't tend to look for help with debt or even personal finance in general until they're in a really bad spot. Yeah. And by that stage, it's difficult to get out of. Uh, and having a bad credit rating makes it harder to work your way uh, out of the debts as well. I mean, it's one of the things I didn't really expect when I started the blog and I started responding directly to people asking me to write about particular topics was the extent to which credit scores uh, were really, really important to people. Mm. So as a debt advisor, I would tell somebody what the implications were for their credit score if they went for this particular sort of debt solution. Um, but very often people had absolutely no choice at all by that stage. I would say, look, you need to know this. And one of the things is, you know, about your bank and your and those sorts of arrangements. But sometimes often it's your credit score. But I would say you really don't have a great deal of option about what you do when you can't make the minimum payments to the debts. You've got to stop there bleeding. There are out. no solutions mm. um, that will keep a good credit rating apart from borrowing some more and the borrowing some more uh is a a, a merry-go-round that stops quite suddenly and mm -hmm. you actually can't borrow anymore and you're that by that point in a much worse uh position than you were before but the importance to which people uh, put on their credit scores i think surprised me and the extent to which they weren't understood surprised me. So I spent quite a long while on my blog talking about credit scores, not because I think it's the most important thing that people should focus on, but because if you don't talk about what people want to know about, they're not going to listen to the mm. rest of it. And you, if you want to talk about debt, you have to talk in a sensible way about uh, credit scores and the effect on those. Definitely. Why do you think people put so much importance or did when you started and this I mean, from my experience they certainly still do now why there is so much importance on it and also why there is such sort of because it, it's talked about all the time you hear it in the radio you'll see it all over i mean i i mean i have a biased instagram feed but i see stuff on credit scores all the time what why do you think a there's a lack of education and b why there is so much importance on it i think there are three sort of 
interlinked problems here. First of all, it is insanely complicated, mm. uh, which makes it actually hard for people to understand what's going on. And if they just see one part of it, they think, OK, I get this. This this looks good. I can recommend this to somebody else. Um, so people don't understand that there are three different credit reference agencies in Britain, and none of them are better or worse because people often ask, "Well, which is the best one?" Mm. And, and they're all they're all just do the same thing, but they've got different data mm. because most lenders don't report to all of the credit reference agencies. The big banks do, and, and the big credit card. Um, companies do but you know a particular water company or a particular debt collector that deals with parking tickets um, or a, a small lender they probably only report to one of them so if you're happily looking at a, a, a credit report and it's looking great that's almost certainly only on one credit reference yeah. agency so you don't see that actually there's a real problem over on a different one that you don't know anything about because you've moved house. Mm -hmm. So the letters about the CCJ have been going yep. to your previous house. And either you don't know about it at all, or the first you do know about it on the door is where there's a knock on the door and it's actually a bailiff because mm. by some miracle, bailiffs manage to track you down when the original lender says, well, I don't know where he's it's gone strange, to. isn't it? Isn't it strange? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's, the, that's one of the problems. It really, really is complicated. Um, the second problem is that um, I, I think part of it's just terminology. We call it a credit score, which sounds really nice. Mm. You know, having yeah, good credit, positive, having a high score, it kind of makes it look like you're a good person yeah. if you've got a high score. Uh, it's not just sort of seen as a reflection of what happens to have happened to you in the past on repaying debts. Let's call them debts rather than credit. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's another problem. And the third problem, which is interlinked to that one, is how people make money out of this. Because you do hear a lot on radio and newspaper articles these days about credit scores and how to improve it. Because there are players in this market who make money out of you wanting to know more about your credit score and trying to improve it. So there are a lot of free credit score reports. Lovely. You get a free report. You don't have mm. to um, pay one of the credit reference agencies nine quid a month or something. You can get exactly the same details on a free report. And the reports are fine, except that they're paid for by advertising. Mm. And the advertising on there is quite subtle. It is suggesting, oh, you may be eligible for this credit card. You look like you're eligible for this loan. If you took out this credit card, it could help improve your credit score. That, that credit may not be suitable for you. It may not be the cheapest credit available, but you're looking at this report and it looks like, looks like a tempting offer and it's offering to improve your credit score. When you're not paying for something, as the saying goes, you are the product. It's you and your data. This is being yeah. sold. And it's not even that subtle. I, I it, it is so confusing and it almost, I mean, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but my word, you can look at this stuff and think they are making it very complicated on purpose because I, I mean, I used to religiously every month uh, when I was improving, when I was getting out of debt, my watching my credit score go up. It was quite good. It was quite good to check in and have a sort of um, metric to go by to see that actually 
not that I was going to borrow money, but to see that lenders see me as more attractive, which means I must be doing something right. Um, and I logged into, I think it was the Credit Karma last month, an experience I've been 999 for a couple of years now. So like you said, if I just used that, I would have thought, oh, I'm perfect credit score. Um, and then I looked onto theirs and I've got like, a, my score is at like 50%. I can't remember, it's like 700 or something. I can't remember what their max is, but it's at 50%. There's nothing, there's no markers on there. There's no reason, what, there's no obvious reason why. Um, the stats are the same, but from what I can see on Experian on, and on Credit Karma, there's no red flags, there's nothing to say. There's no defaults, nothing. But my score on that is significantly lower. And even it says it's lower than, the, than the, I think it was the regional average for me. Who knows? So what, you know, why have they made it so complicated? Why is it not just one score? Why can't they all just get together and be reported to by everybody, you know, everybody that's involved with debt or people that you owe money to? Why can't it be simplified? Is, do, can you think that, you know that is such, such a good question? Um, so the FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority that regulates uh, lenders um, and uh, the credit reference agencies, um, has been having a big study on the credit information market, as they call it. Everybody else calls it credit scoring. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's put out a report which says, first of all, they are shocked, shocked, I tell you, mm. to find the extent to which uh, people's score are very, very different across um, the different CRAs and the extent to which the number of people who would have, say, a default appearing on only one CRA and not on the other two. So there could be errors in the in the data and different uh, information is reported to different CRAs. What people want is they want a single report, accurate, <laughs> where it's easy to dispute something if it's wrong, that it's free, and that you don't have any of the advertising in it. That, I think, is what people want. Um, unfortunately, it's not quite what the FCA is recommending. The FCA wants to encourage more people to report to more credit reference agencies, um, which is good so far as it goes, but the FCA can't actually tell Thames Water who to report to. Thames mm. Water isn't regulated by, by the FCA, so the FCA can't actually make it do that at all. Um, and certainly if we're talking about much smaller local lenders or something, then it, again, it can't tell people what to do. And it's also ducking the issue of what people want to see. Mm. It's suggesting there should be a single portal into getting the information, which sounds better than signing up with three credit reference agencies. But having read the extremely long FCA report (laughs) a couple of times, I can't tell whether you're actually just going to get three lots of data when you sign into this portal, whether you're going to get here's the Experian stuff, here's the Equifax, here's the Mm. TransUnion data, or whether somehow they're going to pull them all together, in which case, what are they they going to do about the mistakes and the differences along the way? And the FCA is also ducking the question of what people want to see. Um, I always tell people it's the data that matters, not your actual credit score, uh, because... Unless you know what's wrong with the data, you don't know how to put it right or how long it's going to take until it approves naturally because the bad stuff's going to drop off your credit record. So 
obsessing about your credit score and whether it's gone up 15 points or down 15 points um, doesn't really matter so much. But credit scores are vital in one reason. If you're checking, which you probably are checking now, your credit score every month, just casually, oh, it's gone up, it's gone down. Right, fine. Um, it kind of acts as a flag. You're not going to sit down and read the entire report every month. And if it's only gone up or down 15 points, you're probably not going to look at it in great detail at all. But if it dropped 100 points, say, you would say, oh, that's really odd. I'm going to go through and I'm going to look at it. Mm. So the score matters not because a 350 score from TransUnion says you're a bad person, Brian, or 999 <laughs> from, from experience says yeah. you're lovely. Um, but because it kind of summarises the whole report and alerts you to any changes. But when the FCA are talking about a single portal to see your data, they're only talking about the data. And they're not, so far as I can see, talking about your credit score. Yeah. So you would get this enormous report because you know, apart from when you're in your very early 20s and there's not a lot on it, mm. um, you know, over time when, you know, you've had different accounts and they close them and move on to another account. These reports are big. Mm. You, you, know, you, could, you could easily have a, a 10 or 20 page credit report. Nobody wants to read a 20 page credit report every month to spot if there's been a change from the previous month. Mm. So the FCA isn't really looking at what's vital for the consumers at the moment, which I think it needs to do, and I'll be responding to the FCA's consultation yeah. saying this, uh, it, it does recognise as a problem. Um, its proposals for solving it are so far are um, rather wet and, and not quite hitting. And surely it's more beneficial, not even just for the consumer, but also for the companies who are trying to find people who are going to be reliable to lend to. Absolutely. This doesn't suit the consumer at all. And yeah. the consumers are mystified by it. But for the for the actual lenders, particularly um, smaller lenders, it costs them a lot of money if mm -hmm. when you apply for a loan, they have to go through and look at your credit record with each of the three different mm -hmm. agencies. And so most smaller lenders, they just can't can't afford mm -hmm. to do that. So yeah. the result so is they're going to take make, a risk, aren't they? They're going to take a risk. They're yeah. taking a risk. Yeah. They they don't. They're going to look at your nine hundred ninety nine mm -hmm. credit score and say lovely, yeah. or they're going to look at your three hundred and fifty yeah. out of seven hundred and ten on TransUnion and turn you down, or they may <laughs> look, give you a loan that's more expensive exactly. than it would need to be. It's so very inefficient. It, very it inefficient. doesn't work for the lenders. It doesn't work for the consumers. The only people it works for the credit reference agencies and all the different so-called free reports that yeah, make money off that of advertise heavily yeah. yeah so surely the fca can have a pretty huge influence on on the credit reference agencies to come together with some agreement there's got to be it, some it behind, behind it, the it, scenes it, shenanigans it, it, re it regulates the credit reference agencies yeah. so there's going to um, be it, some it, it, can't, it can't make thames water no uh, report to what it doesn't want to report to um but it can make the credit reference agency say share that data. So if somebody reports into TransUnion, TransUnion yeah. will pass it across to Experian yeah, yeah. and Equifax. There are lots of different ways around skinning this cat, apart from saying we're going to nationalise you and just have one, 
which yeah. actually wouldn't be a bad idea. No, uh, not, but, maybe not in this case. There are, lo- there are lots of different ways to, to solve this. And uh, the way the FCA is going at the moment, it will be a bit of an improvement because mm. it would be hard to do a great thing worse than our current system. Um, but they need, I think, to do a lot more. And this is so important to so many people. Yeah. And it just it just makes me think even more. Every element of of finance, money, personal finance is just made to be really complex. And I know I know there's elements that need to be, and um, you know, financial advisors and people behind the scenes need to know those things. But they've made it so confusing at almost almost every level um, for for people when it comes to their money and managing their yeah. money and and debt in particular which is which is why people do just switch off and just let themselves get into poor situations that's right yeah so i've got a classic great example of this uh do you know that uh, most mobile and broadband bills are going to be jumping in april yes i do but that's if... only because i probably saw it on your instagram <laughs> uh, so people have got a current contract you're not talking about going in and getting a new contract which might be at a higher level because of the cost of living. We're talking about a contract for broadband, um, a two-year contract, which you signed up to happily. There was a little clause in there which said that they were allowed to do an annual increase uh, related to um, the rate of inflation. And at the time when you signed up to that 18 months ago, this may not have seemed terribly Mm. important. And it may have referred to uh, the RPI, inflation rate or the CPI inflation rate, very, very few people know what the difference is between RPI and CPI. Nobody saw that and realised that their bills could be going up 10%, 12%, 14% in April on a contract which they thought was a fixed price contract. Yeah. And that's that's why we need people talking about this stuff like you and obviously martin lewis does a great job yeah. of, of, of breaking down martin, the, the lewis, fine martin lewis is great and it's so good having um him being on itv to actually see money s- subjects being discussed on primetime tv mm. is really really important but it, it's it, it's good but then it's not good that he's needed to do that like, but, like and oh, he's the he's the go-to person and he has been for so long hasn't he for for, for most households in the uk um but the fact that you need that counter narrative on TV to almost fight against, you know, the or the, the mobile phone contracts, the uh, broadband or, or even credit reference agencies to have to simplify that. It should be within their best interest to simplify these things. Mm-hmm. But finan- for me, obviously, financially, it's not in their best interest because they're going to get their, uh, you know, increase by the rate of inflation this year. Yeah. But it should be the FCA. Why are the FCA not making more of a fuss to make sure that this information is more and more transparent to the yeah. everyday consumer the fact that it has to be consumed by martin lewis's team and everyone else who like you and i that take more of an interest to try and consume it distill it down into something that's a bit yeah. more readable or and watchable for people to understand it because most people just don't know these things no so i mean on, on the broadband and mobile one the regulator isn't the fca the regulator is ofcom yes um and ofcom has now last week announced uh an investigation into these rises. But this is only because Martin Lewis exactly. and The Times and other personal finance journalists have been mm. picking this up and saying, you know, this is outrageous for a mobile or a broadband contract to go up 12% when it hasn't changed. 
no consumer could have expected that when they signed up uh, to, to their contract. And Ofcom have basically been asleep at the wheel, that mm. they should have seen this coming because, I mean, Debt advisors saw it coming. Martin Lewis saw it coming. Mm. It, but as the regulator, they should have been saying, first of all, well, actually, why do you actually need this inflation-linked price rise? You're only doing a two-year contract. You make a good estimate of what it's going to cost you and price the contract to see who actually wants to take your mobile. From, from my experience, debt played a huge role in how I kind of viewed the rest of the world and put it through kind of a, a murky lens almost i couldn't when i was in debt how i felt really affected everything i did how how i acted at work how i acted in my relationship how i just went through day to day with the sort of like anxiety in the back of my mind that you know we can call it money anxiety it's just a fear that at any point if something happens like a life event even if my tire burst in my car that would really spiral me down massively and that kind of that kind of anxiety is like it's not to be sniffed at it's something that actually causes a lot of pain and now more than ever during the cost of living crisis where everybody's feeling the pinch of cost of living everywhere rising i think everybody's kind of getting that a little bit more than they used to but now on, put on top of that somebody who's got credit card debt or loans that they can't afford to repay or car finance that they're stuck in or what, what are your thoughts on the sort of mental health aspect of it and how it kind of affects people's day-to-day -day life? I think somebody's got mental health problems and debt problems, they're a, tox they're a real toxic mix. Mm. Um, depends a bit on the nature of the mental health problems, but some people are more prone to try to spend their way out of a problem because... Um, it's one of the few things they know that can, you know, bring them a spark of joy is going and buying a, a, some new clothes or something. Mm -hmm. um, that obviously makes your debt situation worse. That puts more pressure on you, more stress on you. That can make it harder to do a good job at work. It can make it hard to um, focus properly. So it can actually affect your earning power. Uh, you could be end up off sick because you're just not up to coping with the world. So things can go very badly wrong very fast. And if you've got real mental health problems, this is a major, major problem. But some of the one of the things about the cost of living thing is, is that it's just, I think, raised a general level of anxiety on people who have never really had mental health problems. Uh, and COVID also perhaps kicked this off so that there are a lot more people that find that a lot of the joy has gone out of their life and that they're living a very stressful, anxious life because of not necessarily the bailiff at the door at the moment, but the fear about, you know, how are you going to cope if, if the car needs new tyres or your children all grow out of the school shoes at, at, at the same time. Um, and we're not then even talking about the people who have got genuine problems where they have no idea how they can manage to pay the rent, feed the children and keep the heating on. These are huge, hugely stressful times. And it does affect people's health, mental health. And it does affect um, it does affect the economy overall. It's 
quite short-sighted of the government, I think, in many ways to um, try to force people who are unwell to go back to work and put pressure on them by cutting their benefits. If you're having trouble feeding your children and, and paying the rent, you, that is not actually made better. You know, it's not as though you're sitting around all day um, and enjoying life. Um, yeah. And, you know, if your benefits are cut, you might decide, well, I'll go out to work. And, and so that's not the now way it works at yeah. all. Um, when you're struggling and you don't know how to go to work and get the kids to school um, because uh, the local transport is so awful and you can't afford to run a car these are real problems that the cost of childcare is huge the the and the government is taking some very very short-sighted decisions in trying to look at how to push people um to get back into the labor market and work more when part of the problem is long-term health problems and things like transport and the cost of childcare. These are real big problems, not ones that an individual can easily solve, which the government should be looking at those mm. rather than taking um, a stick approach to benefits, which doesn't improve anyone's mental health at all. No. And I think even people who have relatively health sort of a healthy mindset they they haven't got any ill any mental illness like myself for example i mean i i would say i'm in a reasonably good financial position yet when i go to the petrol station and put fuel on the car i get a surge of anxiety every time i look at the price like, and that's not and that's it might be because i spend so much time thinking and talking about the stuff but every time i look at it instantly i'm like oh, that's it causes me a bit of stress and then i go into the supermarket and you know the the cheese that i was buying 2 years ago is you know 1 pound 50 more expensive and i'm i'm really aware and every time i see those little price increases that are creeping up creeping up every single month it seems to be getting more expensive i can feel the anxiety on me and i would say i'm i feel okay so the people who are in a position where they're not okay what what would you recommend they do what would what, I mean? Of course, the onus heavily is on the government to make ensure that you know we drive inflation down and try and prevent the. But what at an individual? Because there's only so much we can control the government other than by yeah. voting and lobbying. You, those you've, got, you've got to do the best thing for your family Absolutely. as well as you know, sort of hoping that the government's going to make some better decisions. Yeah, uh, definitely hope the government the do so. Definitely yeah. hope right. they do. So, but... First of all, if you've got debts. Um, or big financial problems, I think you have, it, it is important to try to face up to them mm. and not just get through to the next month by putting some, buying something essential on a credit card or buy now, pay later or things, because that actually just makes the next month even harder. So you need if you've got a partner, you need to talk to your partner about this. Um, it's so important to actually make these decisions together. Very often in, in a couple, it's one person that tends to um, deal with the money thing. Um, but both people need to be on the same hymn sheet and, and, and really be aware of what needs to happen. And keep track of what's happening to your debts. People often think, well, I don't actually have to use my credit card. I just use it because it's convenient, because I get a bit of cash back, and it's uh, supposed to be good for my credit record, and all, all sorts of reasons. 
But, you know, it's, it's just sort of useful. But I could stop if I wanted to. Try to stop. If, mm. if that's what you're saying to yourself, just make the next month one where you are not going to leave your credit card at home. You're going to take it out of Google Pay and Apple Wallet. You're going to take it off Amazon and PayPal so you're not paying by accident on, on your credit card. Mm-hmm. Um, and see if you can get through the whole month without borrowing more. If you've got through the whole month and you haven't used your credit card, you've made the minimum payments and your overdraft hasn't got worse, you know you can manage the minimum payments. That might not be great. And it, you know, you might still have a real problem when the tires need to be replaced but you know on one level you are just about getting through each month but if you can't do that and you find you're having to borrow that's the point which is a real red red flag and the sooner you take action the better if you've just got one debt you know if you've just got one big credit card debt or you've just got a huge overdraft you can talk to that creditor if it's not too scary, Mm. Uh, you can talk to them. You can say, I can't afford this because of the cost of living increases and ask them if they can freeze the interest and allow you to pay less each month. But if you've got several debts or you've got real anxiety about the whole idea of talking to Capital One or Mm. your bank on the phone, um, talk to a debt advisor. Debt advisors are really sympathetic. We can help you look at your options. We could write some, write some of the letters for you or give you a draft letter you can send off. And we can talk through all the pros and cons. When you talk to a good debt advisor, you're always in control of what is going to happen. You'll be suggested various options you can take and the pros and cons will be decided. But a good debt advisor will never push you to sign up for any one of these, even if it's completely obvious to me what somebody Mm. should do. It can't be my decision. It's not my life. Somebody needs often needs time to think about things. Mm. So if you, good places to talk to your local citizens advice, um, any other local advice agencies being run by your local authority, they will often be very good. Um, Step change, national debt line and if you're self-employed there is a great uh, national debt advice service just for self-employed and people who own small limited companies called business debt line who specialize in business debt and personal debts and how the crossover between those so any of those great people to talk to if you ever find yourself talking to a debt advisor because you clicked on an advert on facebook or instagram and you find you're being pushed towards something and they're saying, mm. you, can, can you sign up? Why can't you sign up? You know, and, you know, this will really save you money. You need to sign up. So as soon as somebody's trying to push you, put the phone down. Yeah. Stop communicating with these people. These are not proper debt advisors. They are trying to get you to sign up to, there is only one debt option, which makes people a lot of money in this country called an IBA and they are trying to force you to sign up to that because they will make large fees from it any pressure you just put the phone down step back and don't give up on the idea of debt advice go and talk to one of the big national debt charities that I've mentioned yeah and I think 
it reminds me not that i'm saying those companies are scamming people but it reminds me of scams because all it takes is the right place the right time um for somebody like you said to stick it into google um help with debt and the people who pay the most money on the advertising get bumped to the top which are going to be these companies that are making profit so they are the ones you're going to get the footfall and they're the ones that are going to be you know sometimes maybe an iva is the right decision for you but like you said you need that impartial advice don't you need somebody to not be pushing you one product you need to speak to somebody who can give you all your options and then like i said like like a good counselor wouldn't give you the solution or their what they believe to be the solution they will just get you to talk out loud and give you you know give you the give you the options that's right so yes an iva is suitable for some people not very many people because it's not terribly flexible and when with inflation that isn't very good Uh, but if an IVA if you've got assets to protect and very large amounts of debt uh, then an IVA can be the right solution Mm. for you and so if you've got somebody like national deadline or citizens advice saying you could do a debt management plan it's going to take a very long while in your case I think an IVA would be better Mm then you can be sure that it's the right decision for you and you're not just being sold this because somebody wants to make £1,200 in referral fees by selling your details to an IBA firm. It's terrible, isn't it? Absolutely terrible. There's two things that you mentioned that I wanted to briefly talk about. Um, one was credit cards and the other one was buy now, pay later. What, um, obviously, both debt, one I think is a lot more evil than the other, but what... Um, what are your thoughts on credit cards, firstly? Credit cards can be useful. Uh, you know, if you want to pay for a holiday and you can't pay for it all now, but buying using a credit card will let you spread it over the cost of this year, that's probably not a bad idea and it's probably not going to cost you um, a fortune. The problem comes where you put this year's credit card holiday on the credit card and you're only paying the minimums and then next year you're putting next year's holiday on the credit card and you haven't paid off the previous years. Mm-hmm. So a credit card is a tool where you just use it and you repay it in full at the end of the month. lovely. Mm-hmm. If you're using it to spread the cost of something um, big such as I'm a new lawn mower or a new sofa or something or, or a holiday over a set number of months, you think, yeah, I can't afford £600 for this now, but I'm, I'm happy to um, pay £610, £620 um, over a, a period of months. That's, that's good. It's a good tool and you know what you're getting into. But if when you're only making the minimum payments for a long period, those debts take 15 or 20 years to actually pay off. It's the credit card minimum payment track. Mm-hmm. Every time you make a minimum payment, the next month has dropped a little bit. It's not dropped enough for you to think, oh, woohoo, I'm better this month. It's only dropped 60p or, or £1.10. You don't really notice the minimum payments dropping a little tiny bit. But because of that, they're keeping you in debt for a lot, lot longer. So you may think, oh, if I make the minimum payment, surely it'll all be gone in five years. Nope. They're a, a terrifying calculator. Very long to. time. And I and I didn't I never been I never heard that. I never even considered that until I started looking, you know, at personal finance myself. And 
it is terrifying to think even a balance of a thousand pounds can take you 15 years plus to pay the minimum payments off. Yeah. And pe people just don't even think about it because they just think I can afford it because I can afford the minimum payments, but they're not thinking the psychological impact that's going to have on you to you just getting used to seeing that payment go out to that to that credit card company every single month and you're more likely to spend more money in the future it's just they, they know what they're doing they've put so much money into into working out what the best minimum payment is to keep you trapped for longer and and then market you know send you emails every single month to say oh your, they your increase balance is your going credit limit. Yeah, exactly yes. so it's um no i mean i i've i was burned by credit cards it was me who made those decisions so like you said it's a tool at the end of the day and it can be used for good and and bad but i think if you have ever had a problem with debts or you struggle with impulse buying credit cards for me are just an absolute no-no i think if you if you if you can design your financial life to just spend what you have in the bank um you will be forever in a better position for doing it and i think people who convince themselves like you said earlier people who convince themselves that yeah i'll just put the petrol on it and then pay it off each month because it's going to improve my credit score well, then, you know, recession hits or COVID happens and you lose your job. And then before you know it, oh, okay, I'll just continue to put the petrol on the credit card before you know it, you've maxed it out. And I just think it's, even though it's a tool, it's it's a really good way of just keeping stuff hidden in the background and never checking the balance and just seeing, like I said, the minimum payment maybe going up slightly because you spend a bit more money, but it's not relative to having thousands of pounds in your account and maybe 50 pounds coming out each month. It doesn't, your brain's not thinking I've got thousands of pounds worth of debt. It's just thinking I can afford that 50 pounds as a minimum payment each month. Um, and uh, yeah, no, it's, um, it's a very personal subject to me. And I, I try to be very, I try to be impartial with credit cards, but I struggle to. I think so. I mean, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, that you got one, I think, age 18, 18. or something, um, which is just so common, really, mm. really common. And there's a lot of uh, research now which says that young adults' brains aren't fully formed at that stage. They're still yeah. adapting. And at that stage, you haven't really lived on your own. You know, you haven't had to budget for buying toothpaste you know there's just always been toothpaste there yeah. <laughs> because your parents have <laughs> bought magic. toothpaste suddenly <laughs> you have to yeah. buy the toothpaste and, and the loo rolls and the things you had no idea you were going to be spending your your salary on when you yeah. thought about it at, at the start um, there's a case for saying that people are, also at that age you're very susceptible to peer pressure it matters so much to you what your friends are doing, that you can do similar things with your friends, that um, it, it's it's hard to sort of say, no, I can't afford to do that. Um, when, when your friends look like they're all mm. having a great time, even though they're probably putting money on the yeah. credit card too. Uh, they're, they're, I, I think there's actually a case for saying 18 is too young to have a credit card. Mm. I won't make myself very popular because, of course, there are beautifully financially responsible 18 year olds that they can cope with it um but those aren't the people that um the credit cards are after <laughs> and the, and the marketing budget it, you know with these credit card companies it's it's insane and they're going to start universities you go around for freshers week um, yeah. and uh it's it all starts there they will buy you a pizza and uh you know yeah. get, get a free pizza sign up to the credit card it's it's um it shouldn't be allowed and and the fact that the research i mean i can't remember the university in america that did the research but how the pain receptors in your brain don't even go off when you pay with credit cards versus paying even i mean with a debit card it's, it's a little bit but paying with cash or having some sort of tangible 
transaction yeah. makes you think, oh, I've lost this. This money is now not mine. And now I've got something for it, as opposed to I've got this thing and I haven't really lost anything because all I did was tap it on my, you know, my card or my yeah. watch or whatever. Um, and that for me is the most terrifying sort of the way the direction is going with contactless and, um, yes. and the fact that I'll link it into the buy now pay later, actually, because it's, how long is it going to be before, you know, your smart watch gives you an option when you tap it to pay in, in installments. I mean, that's, that's gotta be, that's not far away. No, no. And the, I mean, there's a lot of jokes about, you know, let's pay installment for our petrol and things, yeah. but actually we're not that far, no, not far off it. There is, you know, you can use buy now, pay later to pay for grocery shopping yeah. and things. And even I mean, you can use a credit card. Yeah, you can use, well, yeah, absolutely essential, your pizza delivery. Why pay um, now? Yeah, exactly. Why pay that when you can split it? Because it sounds so sensible. Of course it does. Particularly when you say there's no interest. Mm -hmm. That, you know, that sounds like the sort of sensible uh, grown-up decision yeah. as to how to manage your finances, not yeah. paying interest, spread them out, um, and it's way too easy to get in too deep Yeah. as a result. It makes it's it's... It's the justification for almost everything that I find now to put on finance is the zero percent. And they all know it. And, and all the car finance companies know it. All the credit card companies know it. You put an offer for zero percent on and you're going to get people, you know, running at them to, to, to try and grab these cards and, and take loans out. Because it seems like you said, it seems like the sensible thing. People go, oh, you took a loan out, it's zero percent. Again, it feels like free money when we all know it really isn't. It isn't, um, particularly when people are having trouble budgeting, so the cost of living pressure. Mm. It can, and there, are, if you're using several buy now, pay later things, it can be very hard to juggle the payments which you're going oh. out. Even if, in theory, you think you should have enough money, you know, some of the payments are at fortnightly intervals, some are four weeks, some are a month. Yeah, you've got a whole raft of things going out which is out of your control. Um, really, when you were talking about mental health earlier, one of the things which is best for your mental health is to have this underlying feeling that you're in control of what's happening to your life. Yeah. And that's the opposite of using buy now, pay laters. Yeah. Kicking the can down the road for payment is is not the solution. And they, I mean, last time I, I did some content about buy now, pay later, they, they didn't have to communicate with each other. So you could, like you said, you can go to... You can go to Klarna and they don't know whether you have, you know, multiple accounts open with ClearPay and PayPal, Pay in three. They, they don't know. That. I, mean, I don't know if the regulations changed yet. I know they were pushing for it, um, but I think that's it's, it's a bit like the credit reference agency um, scenario again, where you have all these multiple people with different interests all making money to some degree. It's almost not in their interest to do a national search to see okay, well, you've really got sort of two accounts open with buy now, pay later, and this is the, your current limit. We're not, we're not going to lend you any money. Whereas it seems like up until very recently, they just, you know, it's, the approval was pretty simple. Yeah. So the, they are bringing in regulations to regulate buy now, pay later, because they've been going through what looks like a loophole in mm. the laws um, that they haven't actually required to be regulated by the FCA um, before. It's taking a very long time to get this sorted, partly because the loophole wasn't there by accident. They didn't just suddenly find this mistake in the law and decide to go through that. But this loophole was there for a very good reason. It was so that um, firms who are not lenders, 
as part of their main business can allow somebody to spread the cost of something. So if you buy a gym membership, your annual membership is often spread into monthly payments. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not making a profit out of this. If you buy um, a new kitchen, the kitchen will often let you spread the cost of cost of it over six months. If you buy a season ticket for for a, for a football cup, you can spread the cost of it. Nobody wants every football club, every gym, every kitchen mm. installer to have to be regulated by the FCA in order to offer what is a sort of sensible spreading the cost of an invoice over it. Mm. So uh, they've been trying to work out the rules and to bring it in. So these people whose main aim is to get you to borrow money um, are properly regulated um, as lenders. Um, It's going to be a while before we've got the full FCA regulation coming in. That's still at least a year, probably two years off. They are starting to appear on your credit records, though. They're not counted in your credit score because of various complicated reasons, but they are starting to appear on your credit records. And already we're hearing anecdotally um, that mortgage lenders, surprise, surprise, don't actually like you spending a lot of money um, on buy now, pay later. And if they see those on your bank statements and they see them on your credit records, you it's going to harm your affordability calculations for a mortgage. So in a way, the credit, credit reference agencies are, are going to be good there because they're going to help that. But it, it, it's very, very slow going. Yeah. And there's going to be a lot of people in the meantime, certainly 18 year olds like me. I mean, if, if buy now, pay later was available when I was 18, I 100% would have used it. Yeah. And they're going to get burned in the process. And then when they get to the point where they want to buy a house at age 22, 23, they're not going to. They're going to be yeah. on the back foot, and that's no. You, you spend the second half of your twenties trying to clear up yeah. what happened in the first half is such a common situation. It is a shame, and I, I, I really hope this legislation goes in quickly because I, I see genuinely on a daily basis. I've made a few videos about buy now, pay later, and it's like they're the people who use it love it, obviously, because they can get what they want instantly and don't have to delay their gratification they can get it and pay in the future but those those are the people who just haven't been burnt yet and sadly yeah. i think i think they will because I've, whether they just managed to buy some new trainers and 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 a lot of them actually sadly are talking about using it for buy now pay later just for for groceries and i know you mentioned earlier but it, that is something that is becoming more and more common and i think supermarkets and people who offer it are going to do it under the guise of we want to help people because they're struggling but all you're doing is is getting a profit off selling things and then pushing people into debt. Yes. Terrible. Um, you mentioned one thing, last thing I want to talk to you about is about debt policy, because it's something that, although I talk about money quite a lot, I don't know a huge amount about as far as the options, the main, and you've, you've briefly talked about the three. Um, are those the three, if you wouldn't mind just quickly recapping them, when people come to you with sort of major debt issues and some of the solutions, the IVA being the one that you say is probably um, the most advertised and potentially the least applicable to most people. Um, what about the other the other two and um, what sort of general situation, obviously it's not, not specific advice, but what sort of general position, what would people be into mm-hmm. that would be applicable? So- Right. So the first, so obviously once you've actually looked at whether you could help somebody get more income or whether they can, you know, 
pay less for some of their expenses. When you're down at that point to people not being able to make the minimum payments to their debts, you're into some form of arrangement with your creditors. Now, that can either be, um, if your situation isn't too bad, if you could repay these debts if they weren't charging interest, then you can look at a payment arrangements with, with credit cards and loans, um, or you can look at something called a debt management plan, which is kind of a formal version of payment arrangements so that um, you would pay Step Change, the biggest provider of debt management plans. You would just make one payment a month to Step Change, mm -hmm. and they would divide that £180 up between your creditors, and they would pay those. And the creditors asked to freeze interest. It's not compulsory, but they almost always do, especially mm. at the moment if step change are asking them. So Good. payment arrangements and debt management plans work well if the problem is the interest that is being added. Mm -hmm. But some people have got into a situation where their debts are just too large for that, whether because they've just grown suddenly or they've had a business failure or they've lost their job um, and they've got even if there's no interest added at all, it's still going to take 10, 15 or more years to pay them off. And at that point, you have to look at the sorts of insolvency options which are available for them. Everybody's heard about bankruptcy. Um, and IVA is there as a more unusual option where you've got assets to protect it costs more than bankruptcy and goes on for a lot longer and fails quite often, which is by if bankruptcy will work, it's normally a much better solution for you than an IBA is. And there is a third option um, in England, Wales and Northern Ireland, which people haven't heard about so much called a debt relief order, which is like um, a, a simpler, quicker, cheaper version of bankruptcy for people who have very little money left each month after paying for the essentials um, and who don't own a property or a car that's worth more than £2,000. Um, so a debt relief order can be a very simple option for those people. It gets you the clean start. It really does mess you up your credit rating. Yeah. All the insolvency options do. Um, but it gets you that clean start so you can start again and rebuild your finances. There's a lot of options, isn't there? And there's a lot of um, sort of even even as you're talking, then even though you've simplified it, it still sounds confusing. It shouldn't be confusing when you talk to a debt advisor because the debt advisor is going to rule out the ones that just won't work for you. Yeah, at all. no, that's true. So um, you know, if you, if you if you've got a house with a mortgage, a debt advisor is never going to mention a mm. debt relief order to you because. It's not, not relevant. Yeah. Uh, so it, a, debt, a debt advisor will only really talk to you about the ones which mm. um, are, are relevant and they can make that easier by just directly talking about your own situation rather than using the sort of abstract language yeah. of what would happen here, what could happen there. It's much easier when you're actually looking at one person income expenditure. And so I could talk to you about, well, you know, Brian, you know, uh, you think um, you've got big problems at the moment because of some physical health problems. You know, are they likely to be much better in three months, three years or 
not at all. That you know, once you've got those in answer, mm. that again will help a debt advisor make a sensible recommendation to you. They might say, you, you're probably going to be okay in three to six months. Um, all you need to do is get through to that time and payment arrangements with your creditors can be a great option to just get you through to this. And this is a letter that you can send to your creditors um, to, to ask them to freeze interest and get through. It's tailored to what you yeah. want. So it is complicated when you try to describe yeah. all the options. So I think uh, I think what but, I what I get from that is 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 basically talk to somebody and that's two birds yes. one stone almost because you almost get a sort of feeling of counselling because you're verbalising you're facing the the truth almost and for me that's that definitely worked when I um, when I kind of knew I was in debt but didn't really know how much and just kind of like went through life just thinking it'll be okay it'll be okay it's always I this is my um, experience with it and when I talk to people who are in debt as well even if it's wor- even if your situation is worse than you thought it was you still feel better by verbalizing it to somebody um so by do it by calling you know either step change national deadline or citizens advice just get just to speak to another human being who can sympathize with you and can say what well, what well, okay it's okay we these are options this is the way forward you're almost two birds one stone there you're actually getting the help you need for debt but also you're making yourself feel better because you're realizing there is a way out rather than just kind of internalizing in potentially googling all debt problems and then like you're saying being overwhelmed with all this information you're speaking to somebody who can actually give you that sort of tailored advice yes that's exactly right perfect um sarah thank you very much for your time today where can people find you your blog and your instagram if they want to find out more okay so my blog is debtcamel.co.uk and uh, on Instagram and indeed Twitter, if Twitter's your thing, um, I'm at Debt Camel. I have to ask before we go, what, 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 uh, what's the reason for Debt Camel? <laughs> it's really hard to find a good name for a blog. <laughs> um, all, all the good names have been taken. Yeah. Um, I didn't want anything which is incredibly long. I didn't want it to sound like it was just sort of, you could wave a magic wand, you know, debt wizard or something yeah. like that and get rid of debts. <laughs> um, and I didn't want to make it sound like I was a big national debt charity because I'm, I'm not. I'm kind yeah. of writing common sense yeah. uh, advice um, here. So I, it, I I got the whole blog sort of mapped out in my mind and no idea on names. <laughs> and then I bought a card for my mum from Moonpig. And I thought... If they can make a complete commercial yeah. brand out of something which has not even got the word Irrelevant. card in it, yeah, yeah, yeah. all I've got to do is I've got all the word debt in it. So yeah. if I compare this with an animal, um, I've got the idea for a logo because I've got quite a cute camel logo. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and I, then so I just kicked around animal names. Um, we talk about panda. Panda was quite pretty. Panda, My kids fancied name. wombat for reasons <laughs> I never quite quite worked out. But camels are good. Camels Absolutely. are very sensible animals. Mm. They can plod on for a very long while through the desert and conserve the water Resilient. on their back. Um, and what I like about them is they spit when they get cross. <laughs> so I do get quite cross when I talk about debt policy. <laughs> Um, it's it's certainly memorable, and I think I think it's it's a smart idea because people will always remember where to go to get your information. And I must say, I know I said in the beginning um, of, of our chat, 
the information you put out there is very useful and it has digested and um, simplified a lot of the stuff that even I research quite often for videos that I make. I will certainly be going to yours for any updates in the future because it's um, it's very readable and I recommend anybody who is either in debt or has an interest in the subject to go and, and check out your blog and, uh, and your Instagram. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sarah.